I'm including four scripture lessons in our order of service for this first Sunday in the new year. They all relate in one way or another to peacemaking. And they give us a variety of perspectives from which to understand what it means to make peace. So first of all, a reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter two, verses two through four. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Now that powerful reading is a description of a world in which people are no longer learning war, but are learning the ways that make for peace. Now there's another passage from the book of the prophet Isaiah, often used during the Christmas season. Chapter 11, verse six. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion will feed together, and a little child shall lead them. It's a reminder to me that peacemaking efforts across the world are often initiated and led by children. I wanted to also share with you a scripture quotation that doesn't agree with the ones that I've just mentioned. In fact, it directly contradicts one of them. This is from the book of the, of the prophet Joel, chapter three, verses nine through 10. Proclaim this among the nations, consecrate yourselves for war, stir up the warriors, let all the soldiers draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Now this is the Bible working against the Bible. In direct contradiction to the reading from the prophet Isaiah, here's someone who tells, who encourages people to beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. I include this passage because I think it calls us to treat biblical texts with humility and to understand that there are often very competing viewpoints and perhaps what these competing viewpoints are doing is to say to us, which way shall you choose? Shall it be the way of turning implements of war into implements of peace, or is it going to be the other way around? The choice always lies with us. Finally, a reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter one, verses nine through 11, the baptism of Jesus. Maybe this was the origin story for the peacemaking efforts of Jesus. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. In the name of God, 
the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thirty-five years ago, I saw a movie on television that made a very deep impression on me. I watched it when my daughter Katrina was a newborn. As she slept in my arms, I watched. It was a peaceful, peaceful moment. Neither one of us stirred throughout the entire film. The movie that I was watching is called Amazing Grace and Chuck. Now, doesn't that sound like an amazing title for a movie? Not exactly Gone with the Wind or The Godfather, but Amazing Grace and Chuck. It tells the story of a young boy named, you guessed it, Chuck. He lives a happy life somewhere in the Midwest. He loves baseball, has a wonderful family, good friends. Did I say he loves baseball? Because he really loved the sport. He was a star pitcher for his little league team. But one day, his world was disrupted. And it's interesting that the journey of spiritual growth often begins with an awakening or an upheaval. Chuck's world was disrupted when he and his classmates visited an area where missile silos were located. And in these missile silos underground, there had been stored nuclear warheads. Chuck was very alarmed by this information. He asks a lot of questions of the people who are introducing him to this information. He shows that he's worried. He wants to know, who are those missiles aimed at? And is it possible that there's someone in another part of the world who's aiming missiles at him and his family and this country? So his friends and his teachers tell him not to be concerned. There's nothing to worry about. But he's pretty sure that there is something to be worried about. And he's not buying the way that they're marketing a false sense of peace. So Chuck begins to think about what he can do to help create a world where nuclear weapons will not be used and might be completely dismantled. This becomes the dominant thinking of his mind. But what can he do? He's only one small boy. So he decides that he can take at least one action. He decides that he's going to protest the existence and the manufacture of these weapons by boycotting baseball. And he states his position in this way. Until there is some resolution about what to do with all those weapons, he's not going to participate anymore in a sport that he loves because he knows that this is going to make a strong statement to his family and his friends and at least his community. Now, needless to say, his teammates are outraged because with him on their team, they're a really great team and without him, they're not. His parents are at first interested in his thinking, but then increasingly baffled and then ultimately frustrated. He becomes to the nuclear disarmament movement what Greta Thunberg in our time has become to the crisis of global warming. A young person thrust into the limelight, taking a position on a major issue. The story about Chuck's protest eventually sparks interests in news reports throughout the country, first in minor ways, but then in, in increasingly more significant ways. 
until it finally reaches the attention of a professional basketball player whose name is Amazing Grace. Now we have the title of the movie, Amazing Grace and Chuck. Now Grace is searching for something in his life. He's asking the what matters most question. He's also surrounded by people who are telling him, don't worry about that. Just get on with your life. You have a wonderful life. You are very good at the sport that you play and just, just enjoy that. Let that be enough. Well, it's not enough. So Grace decides to visit Chuck and they talk together. They begin to strike up a friendship and then they decide together that they will find a way to address the threat of nuclear weapons. And Grace then invites other professional athletes to join them in a boycott of their respective sports, saying that they will no longer participate in basketball, football, hockey, until this issue is somehow resolved to everyone's satisfaction. And that, of course, really draws the attention of the media. It certainly gets the attention of the fans of those various sports. So what began as one boy's journey in a small town somewhere in the Midwest becomes a movement that affects the entire nation and beyond. Can't you tell why it was that I just couldn't stop watching this film with my daughter there in my arms? I am not going to spoil the ending for you. I will say that this story really captured my attention. And the movie does not play it safe. There's tragedy as well as triumph. It's a movie that asks hard questions and it dares us to imagine the unimaginable. Peace on earth and goodwill among all people. Former adversaries working together for the common good, doing all of this one person, one conversation at a time. Watching this movie and sharing it with others actually had a major impact on my ministry. Not long after this, the congregation that I was serving at the time became involved in the Children's Friendship Project for Northern Ireland. We brought Roman Catholic and Protestant students together who had been identified as potential leaders to live in homes for the summer so that they could get to know each other across religious boundaries. And then a short while after that, I became familiar with the Just Peace Movement of the United Church of Christ, which provides extraordinary resources to congregations that want to be more active and proactive in their peacemaking efforts. When I was living in Hartford, a member of my congregation organized a major intergenerational interracial event with the Families Against Violence Network that was at the time based in St. Louis, Missouri. And we held a major workshop for people across the city uh, that was attended by people from all different backgrounds and walks of life, all of whom had a common goal. How could we make our city safer? Through all of these varied initiatives, I rediscovered the power of those words from the prophet Isaiah, 2,600 years old, those words, when he said, the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion will feed together, and a little child shall lead them. And it made me think about Amazing Grace and Chuck, that young boy 
and his extraordinary effort. And it made me realize and think about all of the other kinds of peaceful initiatives that I've become aware of over the years, which are often instigated by children. Now we read those words every single year at Christmas, thinking especially about Jesus, a little child shall lead them, lead all of us into the ways of peace. But these are words to be treasured all year round. From a peacemaking perspective, the baptism of Jesus, which is a story that we included in our worship today, also has special significance. It's that moment when he turns decisively towards his future and his ministry. And at that moment with water streaming off of his body from his baptism, he begins to experience the spirit as the presence of a dove. The dove, a symbol of peace, the presence of peace in one's life. And this, of course, becomes a hallmark of Jesus' ministry, a nonviolent approach to changing the world. Later in his life, when he entered Jerusalem for the very last time, about a week before his death, he did so by riding on a donkey, not on a powerful war horse, but on a humble beast of burden. Again, another symbol for peace, for the power of nonviolent social change. In the month ahead, during this month of January 2024, the beginning of a whole new year, I hope we'll discover and rediscover the power of peacemaking in many areas of life and that we'll approach this experience as learners. Because peacemaking can take so many different forms. Conflict resolution, hostage negotiation, forgiveness between people, love between enemies, inner peace that results from the practice of meditation. It can be tough as well as tender. It can be fierce as well as gentle. And my question that I would invite all of us to consider at this time is, what form of peace is most wanting expression in and through our lives? For many years, Coleman McCarthy was a journalist who worked with the Washington Post and when the paper no longer needed his services, Someone asked him if he was going to teach journalism, and he said, no, I'd rather teach peace. And Coleman McCarthy came at peace studies, first of all, as a learner. He was interested in the power of peacemaking, so he read everything he could get his hands on. He watched movies and documentaries about peacemaking. He talked with people who were involved in nonviolent social change, and he gathered all of this information. And it made him a very powerful learner and a very powerful teacher. And over the last four decades, he has spent his life, every available moment, offering peace studies in high schools, colleges, and law schools in the Washington, D.C. area. And I'm going to be referring to him often during the month of January. But one of the results of his work is that he's come up with a rather innovative mathematical formula to describe the power of peacemaking. Here it is. He says, add peace where there's none, subtract violence when you see it, multiply love where you can, and divide hate when you must. So that's a very pithy description of the power of peacemaking from someone who spent his entire adult life studying this power. I also hope we can approach our time of study and prayer with humility. We live at a time when the old appeal to humankind, let's just give peace a chance, doesn't seem like it has a prayer. 
But peacemaking has been around for centuries. It has been utilized in contexts from the deeply personal to the global and international. We are the beneficiaries of hundreds of years of learning and wisdom and efforts related to making a more peaceful world. Maybe we can take heart from a proverb that originates with the Akan tribe of Ghana. This proverb says, it is not taboo to go back for what you forgot or left behind. The proverb is often portrayed by the symbol of a bird, the Sankofa bird, that has its feet firmly oriented towards the front, towards the future, moving into the future with confidence, but also has its beak turned backwards towards its back where it is searching for a little egg on the back of the bird, which is a reminder that one can look backward in order to receive nourishment to then move forward. Sankofa is a phrase and it's a philosophy that encourages learning from the past to inform the future, reaching back to move forward. For nearly four decades, this is exactly what the Albert Einstein Institution has been doing in Massachusetts. It's an organization dedicated to the study and development of resources around peacemaking in our world. And they have contributed so much value to people across the world who have turned to them for insight in order to resolve conflicts in their home countries. As an example, in 1992, student leaders in Thailand distributed over 100,000 pamphlets with resources from the Albert Einstein Institution to individuals opposed to the unelected prime minister. A nonviolent uprising successfully forced his re resignation and initiated open elections. Following the open elections in Thailand in 1997, the Thai parliament adopted a constitutional amendment that established the right for citizens to peacefully resist illegitimate governance. Now, this all happened because people were willing to practice a little sankofa, looking back for resources developed over time in order to move more confidently and peacefully into the future. If the spirit of God is alive and at large in the world, and I believe it is, then so too is the power to make peace, the power of forgiveness, the power of negotiation, the power of healing touch for those who have been wounded by violence, and the gift of love that can help us to regard even the perpetrators of violence as being in need of profound love, which was one of the cornerstones of Jesus' ministry. It is part of our mission to be a community where the dream and practice of making peace are alive and well. Let's find every possible way to share that good news with the world. Amen.